Welcome back to part two of my very insightful and inclusive interview with commercial airline pilot and pilot career counselor, Jason Duvernay. Now in part one, we heard about his colorful story, his turbulent start in the airline industry, and the different paths that his career has taken. Some things you may be able to relate to, and certainly some things that you want to know. And we talk a lot about the choices and things to consider quality of life, amount of time gone, etc. Today in part two, we're going to go further into stigmas. We're going to talk about the importance of networking well and how to ask for help, how to employ good communication skills. We're going to talk about um, setting yourself up financially from the beginning so that when the turbulence of the airline industry strikes, you are better prepared to deal with it. And then, of course, we're going to talk about the importance of family, trust, um, the, the many stresses that a pilot goes through. I'll cover and he'll cover the blue chair time and so much more. So let's dive in to part two. Welcome to the Pilot Wife podcast, your ongoing checklist for navigating your best life as a pilot wife and aviation family. I'm your co-captain, Jackie Elmer. I've been a pilot wife for over three decades and can't imagine any other lifestyle. On the show, you'll hear stories, experiences, tips, advice, interviews with other pilot wives, pilots, aviation professionals, non-revving and travel experts also on this journey. Yes, it's a mixed bag of goods, but what life isn't? I'm here to bring you the best that the aviation life has to offer. If you have a topic suggestion, a story to share on the show, details are at the end. And if you want the Pilot Wife Survival Guide and Checklist, go to pilotwifechecklist.com. Now, stow your baggage, strap in, and let's unpack the Pilot Wife life. When you say stigma, talk a little bit about that, if you can, uh, with regard to that stigma. Stigma stops a lot of us from making decisions that are probably beneficial, right? We allow other people to come into our world, other people that we see as mentors and maybe uh, better equipped to give us um, guidance where we're not really filtering out their true reasons behind things, right? Um, I let people's beliefs and thoughts um, affect my own research. You know, I didn't really dig in, didn't, didn't look for opportunity properly. I, you know, don't go there, you know, they're, they're going to abuse your contract or, you know, they're going to junior manual all the time, all this kind of stuff. Well, I was at the place with the best and that stuff was happening left and right. You know, I sit ready reserve six days a month. I was um, ready reserves where you sit in the airport, ready to go in 30 minutes, you know, and, and starting at difficult times. And so many commuting, it, it can be quite difficult. Um, and, and really that stuff beat me up to the point where I didn't, enjoy the job anymore and, and that it became important for me to find something so I, I was developing a stigma you could at the company i was at because um the things i was trying to avoid i was i was still seeing right so that happens a lot when people look at like um ulccs they go well when you fly on them you don't get free cokes and, and this and that or whatever it might be they look at they look at that like the news heading that the tagline that you know whatever lost bags uh which, I, which the company I'm at is doing fantastic. I think we're number one or two in the country right now on, on achieving that. But 
there's the news headline type thing of looking at a company. And then there's what kind of opportunities will actually provide to me. So when I look back at when I was leaving corporate to come back to the airlines, I thought I need to go where I'm going to fly. I need this turbine PIC time. I need these experiences. I need these opportunities. So I'm going to go to the place that's going to give me the most of that. Um, and when these recruiters called me, I grilled them because I was in a very, I had a very good job, a very good job. Um, it just would keep me away from home too much. And it was hard. It was very, very hard to leave that job. Um, but I had to prioritize. And I said, when, when I get these opportunities to talk to people, I'm going to, I'm going to go right to the stigma and I'm going to challenge them on it. And that's what I did. And the recruiter that I worked with was so engaging. She was wonderful. Um, spent that first call, I think it was like an hour and a half on the phone. Um, answering my questions and being really transparent and really open. And, um, we spoke a lot about opportunities and, and, and setbacks and things that are frustrating to be there. You know, it was a line pilot. They, they knew the frustrations of getting junior man and things like that. And that open honesty and, and transparency is ultimately what led to me making that decision. And everything that she told me came true. I was able to do amazing things straight to the left seat. I was never first officer at that company. Um, building the captain time, networking, recruiting, doing all sorts of things. And, and what it challenged me to do was look at, okay, what truly are my goals? And, and do I have the confidence enough to ask the questions from the people that, that do know and, and challenge them to make sure that the decision I'm making is going to be the right one for my career goals. And I'm very happy with the decision I made. Um, I, I look very fondly on those, on those years there. It was, it was a wonderful place to be. Yeah. And, and I, I think stigma is an important part of it. And as you and I had chatted about previously, you know, I, I come from the era where, I mean, Southwest was around and that was about it. I mean, it was legacy, if you will, or full service airline, I think as you termed it, that kind of thing. And so as low cost, low cost and ultra low cost carriers came under the scene, some of them did have a stigma. It was like, oh, the type of people that fly on that airline and you know, something would happen and it would be, let me guess, it was spirit. <clears throat> now, these are just conversations that I heard or saw on social media, that type thing. And it is interesting over time as you do educate yourself. And, and I think too, for the most part, unless somebody experiences something, the traveling public basically is ignorant in a way, for lack of a better word, in terms of retaining certain information about an airline, right? So unless you're in aviation and you're familiar with it or following different things, or you were on the airline and experienced it, you could hear something about an airline and then, you know, it goes out of your mind. You don't remember what you, you heard that this terrible thing happened, but you don't remember what the, what the, what it actually was. So I know, you know, I, I know spirit went through a time of stigma, but it's been so interesting for me being part of the pilot wife communities on Facebook and the camaraderie and the um, community that that group of pilot wives have built. I mean, it's just fun to watch them welcome somebody into the ranks, you know, whose husband just hired. And I'm, I'm saying husband because I'm in mostly pilot wife communities and that's kind of how it's set up. Um, but, you know, welcome, welcoming them into the community and offering different things and all that type thing. And they're thrilled to be there. So, you know, stigma is, you know, is relative too. And I know for you, someone who now has been very meticulous about your career path, career planning, and, and then, you know, counseling 
other pilots as they come through that. Let's talk about those different options and things to be aware of. And I know one of the things, it was interesting because after you and I had the last conversation, I kind of went in and did some research and it was interesting watching one particular pilot wife of spirit whose um, husband hired in 2018 and he's already completed now his captain upgrade less than three years into it. And so it's kind of funny when you talk about pay, you know, contracts and pay and all that, at what point does it even out? Because you made the leap to captain faster. And especially if you've got 20 years or so left in your career. So talk to us a little bit about how to evaluate some of that type stuff. It's hard, you know, and, and we've got a lot of clients right now that are getting job offers, you know, because we go we go through the entire process of uh, resume writing, uh, networking on LinkedIn, networking in person, uh, applications. Uh, we've, we've, we like to market ourselves as having every tool available for the professional pilot or, or really the professional aviation person, because we've worked with flight attendants and dispatchers and such um, to, to to get to their, their career goal. And, and when you when you do things right and you make sure that you're submitting your application and it's you know fully audited and everything looks perfect, um, you're going to get a lot of opportunities. And we've got a lot of clients right now who um, are legitimately interviewing at every legacy, you know, and maybe maybe FedEx tossed in there. And they're going, how do I make this decision? Right, because they're getting the jobs, they're getting the they're getting the CJOs, and they don't they have to really evaluate and think through what is most important to me. Um, and it's really fun to be part of those conversations to help help them make that decision. You know, um, age matters, uh, quality of life, what you look for, what you want to do. You know, how important is it flying wide bodies? How important is it being a narrow body captain? Um, how how important is upgrade? You know, once you upgrade, how important is the quality of life that you experience after upgrade? Because there's there's companies right now where you can upgrade almost immediately, um, and that that's cool to look. Okay, I can be a captain. Um, okay, are you commuting to captain? How long are you commuting to a reserve line? How long are you going to be commuting before you can upgrade? How long until you hold captain your base? You know, my company, our most senior base, um, you can't be a captain unless you've, you know, I think it's line holding captains like 17 years on property. But most junior base, um, your captain, your line holder, I, I flew the guy the other day, he's 28 years old, line holding captain. Um, asked him, is he going anywhere? Nope. Nope, he's super excited. He's you know piling away 15% defined contribution. It's 401k. He's got all his spreadsheets and charts out, and knows what he's going to retire with. And I'm I'm a little jealous of him. But um, you know these these are big questions, and I try to handle that as much as I can through our podcast. You know, as as clients come in, and I've been really bad about recording. I'll I'll freely admit that. But we got just slammed last year doing interview preps and doing these coaching sessions to help people make decisions. Um, it's not about feeding them something specific and go, you should go here. It's it's challenging them and, and forcing them to walk down that road and, and consider everything to make the right decision for them. So I don't know if I can really give out specific advice, you know, on, on what to do, because all of us look at this career so, so differently. And we've all got our um, things that we find valuable. I said a guy texted me the other day, you're really not looking to go anywhere. I said, why, why would I? I am so happy. This, I've been chasing this feeling my entire career, and I have it. Um, I'm not going anywhere. And yeah, there's there's stuff that happens at every airline that's chaos. And I think maybe I'm fortunate I've worked at four companies. And you know how how different could it be somewhere? I'm, I'm sure there's a lot better processes and, and and functionality some places. But 
man, to, to do what I love and, and fly with the people I love to fly with and, and to be on the aircraft I want to be on and, and do all these things and know that upgrades right around the corner and I can upgrade my base, you know, really, really great things that I just pinch myself that I had that opportunity for. Um, and you're going to have to really weigh those options and go, what is most important to me? Um, and that's an important thing in the interview process too. Can you articulate that to the point where, you know, you got an interview at American United and Delta and they're all going to ask the question, why do you want to work here? And does it, does it sit well with them that that's where you want to be? Or did you just put doubt in their mind that they, they think that, you know, if, if the other company calls you, you're going to go there instead, or that you're going to no show their class, or they're going to leave halfway through the class. These are all things that every carrier is considering now because every carrier is losing people out of classes. Every carrier is seeing pilots jump ship. It's, it is crazy right now. So those are questions you have to answer individually. And, and we have people here that can help lead you down that path and challenge you in a way so that you do feel really good and confident with the, the, the decision that you're making in the end. Yeah, there is a lot to consider. I think about military pilots coming out after a career in the military. They're in their mid forties, let's say, um, you know, so what are the odds of them ever flying left seat on a wide body for a legacy? Probably not really going right now. Pardon me? I don't know about that. I, I would have agreed with you about a year ago, but right now I think they're actually pretty high. Okay. So, the, so a year has changed yeah. things. That's interesting. That's good to know. You know, well, with, with, with COVID when they went and, um, you know, we're looking for ways to survive American, Alaska, Southwest, Delta, United, all of them. Um, they offered opportunities for people at the top of the senior list, take early retirements, yep. go, out, go do something different. And uh, a lot of people took it and that shifted you know, we always look at retirements as kind of a metric of upward progression. It's it's either retirements or growth, right? Right. I chose growth. Other people choose retirement. And uh, you're rolling the dice of both of them, basically. I mean, you, retirement, though, is really easy to look on a chart and, and see, right? Um, two of the big legacies, I mean, they, they need to hire almost their entire seniority list the next 20, 25 years. So when you look at that and you have 20 years left, yeah, you'll probably be able to get to that seat. Um which is really cool, but it depends on when you get to that seat, what do you want to do with it? Do you want to sit reserve in that seat or would you rather be left seat in a narrow body? Um, are, are you going to be able to hold it in your base? What are the bases even look like at that point? Looking out 20 years is, is ridiculous. But I think, I think truly right now, you look at American Airlines, they've got, um, they've got, they're, they're projecting three year upgrades. They're projecting uh, three years to wide bodies. Uh, United right now has unfilled captains. They've got, um, uh, they're, they're, I, I believe, I, I'm not um, completely in the loop on this, but I believe they're actually developing training programs for the 787 and 777 for new hires, which is something they never had. Um, there's, there's a lot of changes going on because, um, you know, people get there and they go, well, I could go do that wide body flying right, right out of training. It's cool. But, you know, is that the quality of life I want? You know, and, and you see it, there's, there's a lot of jumping back and forth from fleet types and bases and stuff throughout the industry. And it's awesome to have those uh, opportunities for people right now. It's, it's, it's fun. It's so much fun to watch these people getting these jobs and getting these um, amazing opportunities um, right off the bat. So coming on the military, we work with a lot, a lot of military people. Um, very, I'm very happy in the rotor community. Um, there's an organization called Rotary to Airline Group, RTAG. It's now RTAG, the Veteran to Aviation Charity. And they work with, um, initially it was helicopter pilots. They do a lot of enlisted um, non-aviation people and, and helping them find the path to get their training paid for and these opportunities. And 
I know the company I'm at right now, they had they had somebody go um, pretty much straight to flying the line out of helicopter training. Very accomplished individual, somebody who's who's um you know uh, that I'm sure they want to emulate what what he is and what what he's been able to do. Um, but um, the the footprint for someone to go from the military to even at 40 years old being left seeing a wide body, I, I think it's perfectly attainable um, right now. It might be a short window, it, 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 but uh, that stuff's so hard to project. I, I don't want to put anything out there, but yeah, we, we help help make those decisions and weigh those options and see what realistic is. And, and I like to stay in touch with recruiters and see what they're telling people and what they think it will be. Um, and that's that's kind of how I got the um, the the product. We just had our tag out in San Diego and, and talking to them and seeing what they're projecting at United and Delta, or sorry, United and American, because they were both out there was was pretty pretty impressive. Really cool to see. Well, interesting. Good to know. Yeah, it's funny. My son's best friend flies the Osprey in the Marine Corps, so um, I'm going to keep you in mind when he's ready. <laughs> yeah, ask him if he's ever had to land that thing on mattresses. Uh, that's one of my favorite things about interviewing people. Uh, you, you learn all these weird little things about different aircraft and processes. And yeah, I mean, if they if they've got a rotor issue and they got to get the airplane down, they just put out a whole bunch of matches and let it plop down on it. <laughs> and I know I guys actually done that. I'd rather not uh, think the, about the that. The stories but... are amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a cool airplane. And, and the people, the, the people that fly it, um, I, I love interviewing Osprey pilots. Um, it's funny. There's these different segments of the industry and, and you can see that they kind of choose individual kind of personality types or, or whatever. And um, the, the, the Osprey guys have always, always had a lot of entertaining stories for me. I've always, I've always had really engaging uh, sit downs with them. So it's a good group of people. It's kind of funny. He was always the shy, quiet kid growing up. So it's just, it's interesting, but yeah, fun. He's, he's over in Hawaii and having a great time with it. So I love Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's talk a little bit about back to the networking because i know that's a key piece of what you did and have done and still do and really advise pilots on and i think that's maybe not something that's been so thought of and and it's kind of interesting which a lot of that when i heard you first on another podcast that's what really piqued my interest in interviewing you to bring you on to present to the, the partner community to be up to speed and aware of what's going on. But also because, like I said, there's a lot of networking that goes on w- without them even realizing it within these Facebook groups and that type thing of, in terms of, hey, does anybody know anyone at Spirit? Does anyone know anyone here? You know, my husband's looking to put his stuff in, blah, blah, blah. And so I think that there's a lot of key pieces that can go into that too. I've watched people make connections with so-and-so and then get a referral you know, I've watched all this on this, on these groups. So it's cool. So educate us a little bit and, and give us, give us some insight as to what maybe what, what pilots should be doing, but even the partners within the groups. Well, what pilots should not be doing is being transactional. And, and that's one of the biggest things that we come up against. They, they just want to connect with somebody and within a, a, you know, a, a statement or two, they want to ask for a job. Will you help me? Please, please help me. I need help. Um, and I, I, I suffered from that to some extent for a while, for sure, because uh, you meet someone and they're, they're a chief pilot or they're, they're connected in some way at a, an airline. Once I got into the position of being a recruiter or being a chief pilot um, type position, you realize how kind of inundated you are with those types of requests or, or people that just can't communicate effectively through email or text messages or so, so the phone and, and it's ask, ask, ask. And, and, and sometimes it becomes very overbearing. Um, 
And what we push is these, these are relationships you're developing. And if you get transactional right off the bat, or if you get transactional at all, it's, it's a fake relationship. You know, you meet someone that, that is, has a great position or they work at a great company. That's, that's fine. You know, um, see if you can connect on a level and, and actually become friends with them, learn about them, um, get to understand. Them. I was just working with a, a client. He had this, um, awesome, um, acronym that he uses. He's very introverted. And he goes, well, I use form when I fly with people because it, it, it pushes me out. It makes me engage with people and talk to them. I go, that's form. Well, it's family, occupation, relationships, and motivations. And um, it's right in alignment with what we teach. You want to learn about the individual. You want to engage and, and, and befriend them for real. Like this isn't, this isn't something you're doing out of selfishness necessarily. This is, it's an opportunity to build a relationship with someone and, and maybe it'll be great, you know? Um, and then at some point that person will probably offer to help you. Right. And we've got a LinkedIn networking course to run people through. Uh, that was very, very beneficial through COVID because all of a sudden you can't walk indoors. You can't shake hands. You can't do these things. Um, and that really, really helped blow open doors for a lot of pilots. Um, it was, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun to be involved with that. Um, when you're engaging with people, just, just get to know them, find something, uh, you know, if it's, if it's a social media thing, find something you connect with and, and ask them about it. And, and hopefully they can lead to you kind of sharing commonality and, and building something out of it. Um, but on the pilot wife side of things, I would say there's a lot of things that are very expensive about this career. And one of them is going to job fairs. Um, but, and I avoided them for a long time because I didn't, I didn't want to spend the hotel. I didn't want to spend uh, an airline ticket. You're going to buy a ticket make sure you get there. Right. You don't want to, non-rev somewhere where 5,000 other pilots are non-revving. It's not a good idea. Um, invest in those opportunities. We, we were at our tag just a few months ago in San Diego and we threw a special client only event the night before to walk through and, and, and walk through these principles of how to have conversations, what to do, you know, what the recruiters are expecting when you walk up to them, how to handle, the questions, uh, spent a couple hours and, and answered questions and gave insight. And we brought a couple members of our team out there to help them. And within two days of that event, we were getting hit up left and right with people getting, I need interview prep. I need to get in. They called me, they contacted me. Um, that event specifically was wildly successful for many of our clients and many people soon became clients because they got to have that FaceTime. They got to have a simple conversation with somebody. And, and it is a, it's not necessarily a matter of qualifying your experience. It's a matter of going, Hey, do I like this person? Do I want to fly with them? Do I want to, do I want to learn more about them? Right. And, and having those conversations with people at these events, turning into them, then pulling your app and reviewing it or, or looking at your resume a little bit more in depth, um, which turns into an interview invite. So as far as networking goes, if, if your spouse wants to go to a career fair and they want to go spend a couple hundred dollars, they want to make sure they got a nice shiny suit and, um, these things, I, I encourage you to allow them to do it, but also work with them to make sure that when they're introducing themselves, it makes sense. When they're um, talking about their resume, it's easy to follow. When they're getting transactional with their words, call them out on it, make sure they're not asking for things, um, humanizing them, making sure they can have simple conversations with people in, in an effort to build relationships. And and if you do those things and you go to these events, I, I see a ton of value in them. I think they're they're wildly beneficial. Um, I've, I've hired actually quite a few people out of those events and um, saw 
the networking opportunities. Um, but on the same side, there's you got to be careful with those. You know, um, they're they're gathering events for the recruiters. A lot of us know each other across the industry when we're recruiting, right? So we go out and we'll go have drinks or cocktails or dinner or whatever. And it's kind of frustrating when you get invaded by somebody who wants a job when you're out trying to relax after the show, you know, so you got to respect barriers, but also if you run into somebody and they're engaging with you, that's some of the best, best times to do it. So you got to have that um, intelligence uh, around the city throughout the entirety of the event. And, and it was really cool to walk through all of that stuff with our clients the night before the event and then seeing the success over the next days and weeks of, of people getting interviews with, with their goal airlines. It was, it was a riot. So allow, allow your spouse to go to those things, allow them to spend the money um, because the return on investment is off the charts. You, you get, you get in one month prior, you know, one month at the end of your career is a lot of money. Great advice. So what do you foresee for the next 20 or 30 years? We tapped on that just a little bit, um, you know, with everything that's changed through the pandemic and all the early outs and that type thing. But, and I know that's like asking you to look in a crystal ball, but I am. <laughs> yeah. And I'll be very biased, you know, and I haven't said something I want to say the whole time. I, I am speaking completely for myself. Um, these are my opinions. You know, I'm not speaking for the airline I work for, not even really speaking for Raven. This is just me. Um, sharing my experiences and opinions on things. Um, so far in my career, I think I've only been able to call one thing accurately <laughs> when people ask me to look forward. And, and it was great. I was at a, a university event and a kid came up to me and asked, asked me if he could interview for the newspaper. I said, sure. And this is like 2018 when regionals are hiring like crazy and the airline you know, the legacies are picking up and all this stuff. And I said, pick your regional carefully, make sure that you're you're going to go somewhere where you can rise up in seniority fast and, and do everything you can to get out of it because you never know when the next economic setback is going to happen. You never know when airlines will start furloughing again or when things will end and it's going to catch you off guard. So be very, um, do the best you can to understand the, the makeup of the industry and do everything you can to get that seniority number at a major airline as fast as possible. And the guy kind of laughed at me. He's like, this is, you can, this is the most unbelievable hiring we've ever seen and this and that. Well, lo and behold, two years later, you know, I bet you a, a lot of the, those students were probably looking at furlough, if not furloughed. And, um, you know, we had multiple companies completely quit operations, go out of existence. Um, and, and all that turmoil we lived through the last couple of years, uh, still to this point, I mean, we're, we're not out of this yet. We want to be, but looking 20 years in the future is extremely hard. I personally believe that the um, industry in the United States is going to continue to embrace ULCCs. Um, and that that's why I'm at a ULCC. I think, you know, you look at the growth projections, you've got lots of aircraft get delivered to Frontier. I, I know they just announced another 91 airplanes coming to property. So they'll bring their fleet up to 272 by 2029. Right now they sit at about 110. You look at Allegiant yesterday just announced that they announced um, a 737 order between 50 and 100 737s coming on property. Uh, these these carriers that uh, focus on the leisure market that um, have, they really truly know who they are. Um, Spirit, you know, they, they're focusing a bit more on frequency, I believe. 
Um, so they, they've got a bunch of uh, A320neos coming, whereas Frontier's looking in for uh, seats per departure. So they've got 321s coming, right? It, 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 they're all they're all different. Um, you've got Breeze starting up. You've got a bunch of carriers, and, and they're focusing largely on that ULCC and like low cost with with some frills, like a JetBlue type thing. And I think we'll see a lot of success in that. I think you'll you'll see legacies potentially changing the configuration of their aircraft to uh, accommodate more of the leisure traveler because their cash cow of business travel has has kind of gone away. But they're always going to be necessary for that long haul connection. Um, but I think that I think the growth will come from ULCCs and low cost carriers, and I think the um, retirements will come from the legacy. So so both really give you this great opportunity to rise up in seniority quickly. So right now it's unbelievable time to go to really any carrier and you just have to prioritize what's most important to you, where you, where your value lies and, and what opportunity you believe in the most as far as choosing one. But I think it's bright, but I always live with the, the mindset of, you know, it could all end tomorrow. And, and maybe that's because I've had to restart my career so many times and, and start at the bottom of seniority list and start at the bottom of the pay scale and work my way up and interview and get turned down and, get opportunities and bounce all over the place. Um, prepare yourself, you know, for adversity, even if you're sitting somewhere with like seven, eight years seniority, I, I think it's worth always considering the fact that you could either be on the street. If you're captain, always consider the fact that you could be downgraded tomorrow and, and live within your means. Um, because as we saw two years ago, it could all be snatched away, but enjoy the progress and enjoy the opportunities that are ahead of us now. That's great. And, you know, you, you brought up kind of my very final point um, before I turn it over for anything else you want to share, but that is the financial aspect of it. And the reality of it is the aviation world in general, whether it be airline and specifically airline and, and corporate, I mean, a lot of it goes along with that. Maybe not cargo so much, but it's always going to be tied to the economy. Ups and downs, you know, the Gulf, fighting, wars, fuel, all of that. And I don't really see that ever changing. I don't know how that can ever change in aviation because it's just a part of it. And it's kind of funny, you know, you, the last couple of years we look at that, but then I look back at a good friend of ours with a 50 year career. It's been over 50 years now he's retired, but I, I watch, you know, what he went through way back in the regionals and then get hired, getting hired, um, you know, by the legacy United and everything that he went through. And, and it's kind of funny. I think you called it the lost generation at the very beginning, you know, and we went through the lost decade, which was you were hired by the legacy, but there was no growth, no movement, very little retirement. I mean, that was the only growth. That was the only way to move up was through retirements. It was post nine 11 and everything was like that. And it's kind of funny back to the Steve jobs quote, but I, I look back at that and I think, Wow, I was really lucky then too because we had total quality of life. My husband flew Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. He was off every single yeah. holiday. He controlled his whole life. We had absolute quality of life. Our kids were little. Oh, That's but you know, job. he didn't upgrade for a long time. Pardon me. That's a unicorn job. Yeah, well, it was. Except for then, people say, "Oh, well, it was so lucky." And it's like, yeah, it's true. But we were absolutely frozen in time. Now we planned well. We didn't ever live outside of our means and we enjoyed, uh, and we were living in California. We had just moved to California when everything went crazy, doubled it and tripled everything, but whole nother story, you know, it's the same thing. So you look back and you think it's always going to be cyclical like that. So you do have to prepare. And there's this um, vision that, you know, once you get the 
bigger job, whatever it is that, you know, you're rich and you've got this and it's time to buy the captain's house and the big car and all of that. What do you have to say about that? How, how do you advise, you know, or even handle your own finances, not to get too personal, but in terms of investing and setting yourself up? I, uh, I let my wife do that because I, she's far <laughs> better man. than I am. <laughs> oh, she's, you know, well, I found myself in situations where I've had to come to her and go, hey, uh, it's more debt than you think we have, you know, which luckily has turned into us growing closer and, and sharing more. But um, it doesn't always work out that way for people, right? Um, I feel very fortunate to be able to now invest heavily in my future, in retirement, savings, things like that. I, I take it very seriously because while I'm very confident in my career, I'm very confident in the future, um, you you never know when something's going to happen that just upsets everything. And, and being young and getting engaged and then watching, my wife and I, we chose to work at two different airlines so that if something happened to one, one of us could stay employed. Well, we got engaged. Three months later, I lost my job. Three months after that, she lost her job. We're both on the street. There's barely any jobs available in our in our industry and we're planning a wedding you know I, I feel very fortunate to start our career with that because it's it's kind of the lens i look through everything um the company that i was at with 30 plus years the probably the most resilient you know storied history one of them at least in in the regional world is gone i mean i i mentioned it to clients now they're like never heard of it jeez unbelievable um but that's just the nature of it. I mean, we watched a couple of companies go out of business this year. And, you know, if you're not close to it, you probably don't even realize it happened. There's probably people listening to this podcast that have no clue that I think we lost three or four airlines in the United States this year. Gone. Or last year, two years ago, whatever it is. It's been. Yeah, I know it's a blur, right? <laughs> um, so you have to plan for that and you have to be willing to, to reset. You have to you have to be ready for downgrade, except the opportunities that come but um you know always always plan there's there's plenty of pilots over at multiple legacies that have been furloughed twice been downgraded and you you got to enjoy the upswings but you got to be prepared for the downswings well and it, it's hard to do because yeah you make captain and all of a sudden you're making especially like wide body captain or something you see the paychecks coming in, it's amazing and you kind of lose some people lose sight of how hard how hard it was to get to that point um and how good it how good it is right now and it's always going to be this way and i i don't know maybe i'm a pessimist but i just i feel like any day everything could fall apart and i got to start over again um and and I, I i wish more people would look at the career that way because um we saw a lot of pain last year we, we had a lot of or two years ago we had a lot of phone conversations with people that were deeply, deeply hurting because they had just bought that captain's house. They had just bought something. And and for whatever reason, you get this mental block of, well, I can't sell it. Well, get rid of it. You know, it's, it's, it's drowning you, you know, there's more opportunities. If you get out now, you're furloughed, take that volunteer furlough, get out fast and, and find that, you know, job in another sector that's going to pay the bills until you can go back. Um, there's a lot of strategy that goes into that. And we did a lot of strategy talk with, with uh, clients that were, losing it all. You know, they went from thinking, Hey, I'm going to upgrade in two years. And I'm gonna have this and that. And all of a sudden, you know, them and a couple thousand people above them are looking at being on the street. So, um, it's hard to have those conversations. I like to avoid it just by simply having people prepare and be realistic that it could go away. Um, and, and what you talked about, what you did is 
is interesting too, because you gave up the opportunity to have that cat pet your husband did or, or whatever, because you valued the quality of life over, over, you know, pay or, or whatever it might be. And, and it, you know, it's, it's great having money, but you have to, you have to understand what's important to your life. And if, if you go do that, you're commuting across the country for a, for a left seat job, is it, beneficial to you or is it not, you know, to your family or whatever it is and, and weigh those options and, and have good open conversations about it, set realistic expectations of what it will be. And maybe it does work for you. Maybe it's, maybe it's the best thing to ever happen to you. Um, but make sure that you've got your head wrapped around that decision-making process. Me, I've got my upgrade uh, in to just two of our bases. I think we have six just off the top of my head. I don't know, but um, I'm only focused on two because I'll take the first opportunity, but I know I'll be on reserve. And the guy I just flew with, he, he had his bid in for 50%. He didn't want to be a captain until he could hold 50% in the base because uh, he wanted to go right into line holder because he commutes. He lives in a beautiful, beautiful area. Um, and he didn't want to give up quality of life. And he saw quality of life being a line holder. So I have open, honest conversations about what these opportunities present themselves as and, and understand it before you just jump in, I guess. It's good. It's easy to chase money. And, you know, it's it's intoxicating. Money can be right. Buying stuff and having stuff. And again, you know, the expectation and all of that. But you you touched my heart even early, earlier when you were talking about how great it is to be a dad of an eight and nine year old, you know, that age group. It is. It's so amazing. And as much as you think you can get that time back or you'll do it next week or whatever, you can't get that time back. I look around my house, you know, my son's 29, my daughter's 26. Everybody was complaining over this past weekend with all the canceled flights. I was rejoicing because my daughter got stuck here for another 24 hours, um, you know, for her holiday break home with us. And so, you know, you look at that and yesterday I moped around the house all day thinking, oh my gosh, you know, I miss seeing her out there sunning herself by the pool and getting up every morning and having coffee with her and that stuff. And I'm grateful that we did secure that quality of life because my husband has an amazing relationship with both of my kids. We do too. And I know that there's a reason now, you know, not patting ourselves on the back and things go badly and it's not always your fault or whatever, but I know that we worked really hard for that. And that's something I don't think any parent would ever regret doing saying, gosh, I wish I would have chased the money flying, whatever. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I, I chase the money. I mean, for, for what we give up to do this job, the money is very important. It, it is because my first year being a professional airplane, I made $15,000. I spent more than I made that year, spent yeah. more than I made the year after that. And then I was furloughed. I had no income. Then I went back to some job that wasn't even in aviation, you know, and it was hard. I gave up not just the investment into the flight training, right? And I was very fortunate. My parents were able to fund that for me. So I, I won't try to play that game at all, but a, a lot of us don't have that, right? And you work your butt off for scholarships, you work your butt off for these opportunities and you spend so much money in pursuit of this because of the reward at the end. But what a lot of people lose uh, sight of is essentially we kind of go down the doctoral path of um, we spend years in residency, years learning our craft and perfecting it and, and developing the skills. It's not just skills flying the airplane, it's, it's the people skills, the soft skills, the um, conflict management skills. Um, as we go through everything and, and, and really kind of focusing on what specialty do we want? I think that's kind of been the, 
the goal of this podcast. What what specialty do you want? My specialty is going to be narrow body morning turns. Hopefully, that's I mean, at this point in my career. I don't I don't know. Um, it's what I found that I love on an Airbus. Uh, <laughs> um, I love my table. Um, but um, we we spend years chasing this, and we deal with so much. Um, you know, you'll you'll see weekends like or what we've seen the last couple of weeks, and yeah, it's it's terrible for the passengers, but it is massively upsetting to the crew members too. It's it's hard when you go to work and all of a sudden it's not even remotely close to what you thought you were going to do, or you know, you you get to a hotel and you get to a city that's getting hammered by a snowstorm and there's no hotel rooms available, and you're now hopping on a cab and driving. Luckily, I've never had this experience, but I, I know people have, you know an hour, two hours out of the city to, to find a hotel. Um, because even your contracted crew rooms are, are just completely booked. There's a lot of chaos that happens. There's a lot we put up with, and there's a lot of people that um, don't understand the stresses that we deal with on a normal basis. So when you have someone that you can go home to that is actively trying to understand it, I'm very grateful. I, I married someone in the industry. Has a She used to de-ice my airplanes, sell the tickets to my aircraft. and. Um, I mean, she's, she's CFI. She, she's a flight instructor. She, she knows the top pilots at an airline. She understands the um, industry well, and I'm extraordinarily grateful to have that uh, because when I'm on the road and it just goes nowhere near as planned, it's, um, it's nice to have someone that understands that you didn't call them because you're dealing with chaos. You know, it's, it's not like you're avoiding them or anything like that. Um, that you might not be able to talk for a couple of days because you'll be out of the country or you'll be um, deal, dealing with any number of things that could happen, winter storms and passenger issues and, and all sorts of stuff. So we put in that time and that effort uh, to to achieve the goal of, of income down the road. And there's there's no I'll make no qualms about it. I, I got into this industry to to chase that income at the end, but it's not the most important thing. Um, and I'm really happy with the journey I've been on, uh, the experience I've had. You know, job choices have led to the development of my family, you know, adopting my son and um, knowing that I can spend time away from my wife and still keep a strong relationship. And that was really important um, through through upsets and <laughs> furloughs and job starts. And um, it's it's been a crazy ride, but man, do I love it. And I think she loves it, too. We spent before COVID, we were traveling the world, multiple countries. My son's been to. 30 states, I think he's been to four countries by the age of six. He's been in first class multiple times. You know, he's he, uh, he's a he's a professional traveler. He's been on well over 100 flights, and um, I think it's amazing that we can give that opportunity to our children, to our our spouses, and 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 we can live it ourselves. So the the reward needs to be there. Uh, I think we need to as as crew members, you know, keep that in mind. Uh, because it, it is a long haul. It's, it's a lot of residency trying to perfect what is the what is the path we want to choose, you know, as our as our end goal, um, and keep that into context. But uh, don't don't blow it all when you get it, because you never know when it's going to go away. Yeah. Well, Jason, thank you so much. It's been so fun chatting with you and hearing your story and your insights and your experiences, your ups, your downs, the turbulence, all the fun stuff that aviation plays on, right? What, tell us any final thoughts that you have, anything you want to leave with. I think it's important to have gratitude. Um, 
right now I'm, I'm talking to a lot of pilots that, that have fantastic jobs, really good jobs. Um, and I think there's a lot of time spent just assuming things are better, things are going to be great or I don't know. It, it, I don't think enough people have seen the upsets um, or, or given enough credence to it to, to realize how fortunate you might be in the position you're in. And be, be grateful even though you're seeing people you know, maybe jumping ahead of you and, and getting out and going somewhere or, or starting a career at the company you want to. You know, don't, don't take that spite or anything like that. Just keep pursuing the path, network appropriately, reach out to places like us if you need help and it's not, you know, not having doors open. There's little little tiny things on applications and such that will just leave that door shut. You know, it could be literally one little box on that app. It's, it's crazy. Um, but uh, be grateful for the experience that you're going through. Uh, if, if I were to look, I, I'm not doing anything remotely close to what I thought I'd be doing in my career. And my career has gone nowhere near how I thought it would, but I am incredibly grateful for the people that I've come across, the experiences I've had. Um, and, and I love it and I look forward to it. I mean, going forward, it might not be anywhere I project either, but, uh, I'm, I'm along for the ride and I'm having a lot of fun with it. So um, if you if you are married to a pilot and you're not familiar with the industry, do what you can to understand them. And uh, one thing I have is blue chair time, we call it. Uh, and I started this in college. I had a blue chair in my in my bedroom at my house. And, and I was really active uh, flying, working multiple jobs, um, being on the flying team, do, doing a bunch of stuff when I was in college. And every once in a while, I'd just get overwhelmed with everything that's going on. And I'd go sit in my blue chair and I'd recline. And my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, I tell her if I'm in the blue chair, I, I just can't be bugged. I'm sorry. So it's blue chair time. So now I, I flew a red eye last night, which I haven't flown a red eye in well over a year. And it, it's upsetting to the system. It's, it's hard to um, recover from that if you're not used to it, right? And, and I've been very fortunate that I wake up same hour window almost every day, which is unheard of for a pilot, at least for me, my whole career. And um, so it's a difficult swing for me to make. And when I came home, I told her, hey, I'm, I'm in blue chair time, blue chair mode. And it's just our little code word that we have that I don't want to say anything that's going to upset you. You need to understand that my brain's not right. I'm trying to recover from the trip. Um, and, and having something like that to, to let people know that what we just did, it, it's a mentally exhausting job usually. Um, not, not necessarily physically, but mentally for sure. And making sure that the people around you know that you, you got to recoup, you got to recover, you got to drop the fatigue and, and get back to your lifestyle. And sometimes that takes a couple hours of just sitting or, or doing whatever it is and, and being supportive of that process. Because I think a lot of people look at our job and think it's super easy um, or that it's, it's not that bad. You know, you're not in an office, doing, you're talking to one person for hours. How, how hard could that be? But days of it, um, and, and dealing with all the things, I mean, it, it, it can be quite exhausting. And if you have someone that can be supportive and recognize that at home, it, it is so incredibly valuable. I'm glad you brought that up because we I, I learned that. I didn't understand that initially because I'm much more of an extrovert. And my husband's much more to, of an introvert. But I learned to protect that time, that immediate time home, whatever time it was in the day when he got home and the next day, if at all possible. And then if he wanted to go do something or wanted to be involved, that was fine. But, and obviously there are real life situations where sometimes you can't do that. You've got some kind of obligation, but if it was just a choice, something social, 
I learned to put my own whatever aside and I learned how to basically take care of myself in terms of I can go to that by myself and it doesn't mean anything or I, if I really want to go or do whatever. So I think that's an important point that you bring up is to understand, understand that part of the demanding part of the job where you do give a lot. It's a lot of pressure and you've got to have that time to rebuild up the energy bank. Yeah. I spent, I spent the last two nights in Las Vegas and I didn't leave my hotel room. I, le I left it once each day to go to the gym and, and put in a really weak little workout, <laughs> but you know, you're, you're in the city and, and the, the visual of it. Okay. You're like one day I was there 23 hours. You know, I could be out going to the casinos and all that, but I was tired. You know, and, and I've got this, I had clients I had to meet with and, and whatnot, and that, that's my focus. But um, I, I think I think a lot of people would be surprised how much time we spend um, just kind of recoup and, and regaining our energy on the road in the hotels. And and, and we need that too when we come home because the days, the days can get hard. Um, there's a lot of decisions we have to make through the process and a lot of little decision making uh, built up on you as well. But just that respect is it's really important. And, and the lack of assumptions of what we might be doing, you know, as far as I'm sure you're out doing that, you know, you're Vegas for 23 hours. So I'll hike. I, uh, I slept until probably 10 AM. And then I, I brought the food that I had in my bag and warmed that up. And then I, uh, met with two people on the phone, took a nap because I knew I had to stay up all night again, watched a little bit of TV, went to the gym, took another nap. That was my day in Vegas. Right. So, um, understanding the, the stresses of really time zone swings and um, the decision-making uh, time that we put in is, is really beneficial. I, I feel incredibly fortunate to have my wife. If you, I know I said that was going to be the last, um, but now you've led me down another path, but if you were going to name what you feel like are the top three stresses or pressures or things for us to be aware of that you go through in that job, what would those be? Because you mentioned time zones and certainly red eyes and all of that. There's a lot. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a very extroverted person. And when I talk to introverts, one of the things they tell me is, you know, just trying to trying to keep up on having conversations and staying engaged is extremely exhausting. Right. Um, and I get that way from work. I love cockpit banter. You know, I, lo I love the, the conversations, learning about people, getting to know them. Um, but when you do that all day and you're dealing with that with, you know, you're, you're trying to have conversations with the pilot uh, that you're flying with, the jump seater potentially, the flight attendants, the, the passengers, the ground crew, uh, ATC, having, having to be switched on at all times to listen to your call sign. Um, there's a lot of fatigue that comes from that. Uh, it, it, it even surprised me to this day, like how, how tiring it, it can be, um, surprisingly. Um, so fatigue with the conversation null part of it and, and, and having to stay queued up all the time to, to make sure you're aware of what's going on around you is, is obviously a big part. But then also the fatigue of uh, changing time zones, changing sleep rhythms. Uh, sleep rhythms is huge. That's why I feel like my last year has been just an unbelievable blessing. I wake up within, with, I, I wake up without an alarm now um, on a schedule, which is crazy. I've, I've never been able to do that. Um, and I love it. But then you know you decide to fly reserve for a month and it all goes out the window you, you don't know what you're going to be doing um so understanding that we are constantly swinging our sleep schedules and if you're if you deal, you know work with someone who's a, a cargo pilot or someone who's flying long haul you're often flying through the night it's um that's a huge difficult swing to make um 
So fatigue would be number one. Um, stress, you know, we're always trying to make people happy all day, every day. We, we, we try really, really hard to meet the needs of our customers. We try really hard to meet the needs of our crew members and, and all while trying to juggle the relationship we have at home, making sure that we're having appropriate number of contact, um, you know, phone calls, uh, emails, responding, text messages. Um, we're, we're juggling a lot and, and a lot of us spend a lot of time completely disconnected. And then as soon as you land your phone, you turn it on as a bing, 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 you know, everything's going off, but then you got to focus on your job and you might get, you might get five minutes where you're not setting up the airplane or pre-flight and are doing something else where you can kind of look at it and you might not have a chance to respond to somebody. So don't take that as anything, take it as really, really busy. And there's very limited time that you can, you can have. Um, so respecting the, um, time allotment for, for response, I think it's important. And I don't know, final thing trust it's um it's a uh it's it's a it's a role where you spend a lot of time away from the people you love <laughs> and and you got to have that trust there uh to know that to know that everything's good i guess i don't know it's um it's a wildly rewarding career and and uh if, if the respect can be given both ways it, it's um it's amazing for everybody involved and, Look at what my kid and my wife and I've been able to do over the last few years, places we've gone, things we've done um, and and moved. And, you know, there's a lot of chaos that comes from that. But uh, it's it's uh, it all rests on trust of, you know, I, th I think a lot of people focus on while you're gone. Trust in, in making the right decisions in the career is, is really important that that the reason you're choosing places, the reason that you're doing things, the reason you're switching to a different airplane you're switching to a base that might not make sense to your spouse. Um, you, you need to make it clear to them that, Hey, here's the, here's the benefit. Here's the opportunity that we're going to get by me doing this. And sometimes there's a huge disconnect there where, uh, you know, we'll have conversations that we'll, we'll sit down with the husband and wife in a coaching session because they need help determining the clarity of this career move. Is this the right thing to do? Is this the right uh, path to take? Should I leave corporate to go airlines? Should I leave airlines to go corporate? Um, and it's hard for people to wrap their head around because, you know, they're the pilot themselves might be looking at it with a, a lack of understanding of what it might be. So um, gather information appropriately and, and trust the path and be ready to deal with anything. Very good. Well, Jason, again, thank you. It was awesome. Love, love your fresh perspective, fresh for me, someone in aviation almost as long as you've been on the earth. <laughs> Um, it's just, it, it's good to hear all that. And I know it's going to be extremely beneficial to the audience. So thank you very much. Good, good. Yeah. And, um, I guess I'll put a little plug out there. I've mentioned Raven a few times. Our, our, it's not my company, but the company I work for is Raven Career Development, uh, www.ravencareers.com. Um, it is, uh, it's, it's an organization that's been invaluable to me to help me make decisions, um, to make sure that I'm projecting and showing myself appropriately to the people that I'm trying to get the attention of, uh, networking appropriately, understanding myself, understanding my strengths and weaknesses so that I can interview appropriately, uh, technical knowledge, all these things that we need to, to be successful in the career. Uh, we've got a lot of really, really good people. Um, we've got two doctors on staff, <laughs> doctors of aviation, right? It's, I, think, I find that hilarious, but we've got people that are very knowledgeable, um, and uh, they've, they've just got an intellect to, to help. And 
we're here for anybody that's looking to figure out why they're not getting a call or or help them deal with um, you know the, the the shame that might be around a I talked to a guy today, he had, you know, check ride failure in a, in a business jet, and he's actually uh, got an airplane accident in his background. You know, I think they're both hugely beneficial the way that we worked with him to project that in a check ride, um, especially the accident. The accident was such a massive learning experience and it really showed his skills in, in, the, um, in the event, which uh, I think anybody that interviews with him will, will be super excited to bring him you know, onboard him, but it, it comes with having to be able to explain that appropriately. So we've got people here that can help you with just about anything you could, you could come up with in this industry. And, and, uh, I know that we all feel as passionately as I do, um, that we love to help people and love to see people, uh, get to the place where they are content and happy and feel like they've reached their goal. Good. All that will be in the show notes too. So everybody, if you're walking, driving, you can refer back to the show notes and you can find those links. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Jackie. Whew, so that was a lot. And I hope you enjoyed Jason's story, his wit, his wisdom, his insight, his experiences. Don't forget to go to ravencareers.com. You can find him there. Um, if you're considering making a change, you want career counseling, give him a call. At least have um, that initial opportunity to have that conversation and see where it might lead to. As he says, uh, most of their employees were clients. He was a client. And I think that speaks volumes. So again, hopefully you enjoyed the show. If you didn't listen to part one, go back and listen to that. Make sure you don't miss any of it. There's so much good information all the way through. Take some good notes and make the best decision that you can with what you have to work with at the time. That's all we can do. If you like what you're hearing on the show, grab the Pilot Wife Checklist at pilotwifechecklist.com. And if you have a topic suggestion or a story to share on the show, go to ask.pilotwifepodcast.com. Share the show with any pilot wives, military wives, or anyone in aviation you know who might share and benefit from this similar experience. I'll see you on the journey. <laughs>